sure. I'll talk it out. Yeah. Let's just have a conversation. Track three. <clears throat> Better not be fucking Dave Matthews band. Okay. Those of you who don't want to be a part of this can leave now. Derek, please listen to me. But if you choose to stay, which it seems like you guys are choosing. Derek, please. You understand and agree to the following terms and conditions. Derek! One. Derek, this is the virus. You talking. hereby waive your right Derek, please. to your own personal bodily integrity. This is not you. Two. Per the state versus Neville Reed. My colleague and I will not be held criminally liable for any felony or misdemeanor that you may be a victim of, including, but not limited to, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, disorderly conduct, destruction of property, mayhem, and first-degree murder. And three, terms and conditions may change or be updated whenever the fuck I want! Consider yourselves notified. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. Describe the ruckus, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? Podcast episode 183 of the Hordes of Chaos. Has some ill disposed there, opening up with some uh, open casket of cover death, the cover of death. That's what I thought it was. Not a lot like it. Pretty good. So today on the agenda, we've got talking a little bit about a documentary on Netflix called I Killed My Dad, which we actually saw probably a few weeks ago. We just haven't got around to talking about because we didn't talking about a lot of other things but it was really interesting though i um it brought out some interesting uh talking points between us like just well definitely when i figured out there was a little more to it than 
what was initially uh, shown, which they get to throughout the dock, and of course, it's one. It's it's good. It's gonna be an interesting perspective on our parts because I think that uh, in the end, the outcome is right. Mm -hmm. I agree too. Uh, gonna have my uh, retro pick of the week: Young Blood from 1986, starring uh, Patrick Swayze as well as. Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe. <laughs> and a little cameo from Keanu, Keanu Reeves. Reeves. Uh, and then uh, Nico came up with an idea for taking, I don't know how often we'll do this, but we'll, we'll be I don't even know what to call it. Like, right. Yeah, it's not so much underrated or overrated, but I guess we're going to each pick a, a actor or actress at some point, and we're just going to kind of name our top five films and how do you feel about how... It's not even so much films, it's projects. Because my, yeah. my guy is in a lot of TV stuff. and I just um, still film a little bit. And some films. But the thing I was kind of getting with Anubis, and we'll go more into this, but the person, it may not be, it may be a supporting role. And that's kind of like what, what my guy really, it's, it's a supporting role but his presence is completely, like, you know who he is. Like, he is, even though he's not one of the main characters in these, you know, he's got an important role. And he is, commands that role, is the best way to put it. Yeah, one of the films in my list from my actor, uh, definitely, I was reading a review, and they kind of nailed it on the head where... He wasn't the main star per se, but he he just stood out so much that you can't really forget him. Mm -hmm. And then I had like I have like what I call like the runner-up role that I had kind of forgotten about, uh, which I'll mention later. Which you won't even recognize the actor, but you'll remember that actor for a specific reason. So uh, I'll be interested with your pick though because there's a little more sporadic in terms of roles but and different mm -hmm. like everything that he did was so different mm -hmm. all right well let's get into our first block of music here um got some brand new stuff from Harrowfant and uh classic material from morbific actually it might be nice no, new excuse me that's new stuff too actually came across them pretty recently uh, but we also got some new stuff from Becoming the Archetype, and this is called The Dead World, and I know NECA was jamming us when we were playing it earlier uh, mm -hmm. this week. So here we go, getting this party started.
What up, y'all? This is Roger from No Moss. And also Ben from No Moss. Hey, Henry over here from No Moss. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Come get it. Get lit. Yeah, and John too. <laughs> to dive into our first meaty thing topic. You have some meat for me. Meaty. You got some meat there in your pants? No. <laughs> uh, some bologna. My bologna. I mean, I'll take it if you got it. <laughs> <laughs> so you came up with a plan. Uh, idea. A plan? What's a plan planned idea. A planned idea. To talk a little bit about our favorite actors and actresses that may not be super famous. Even though we'll probably cover some that are, even though mine might be a little bit more famous than yours is. But uh, I think mine still kind of gets overlooked at times. That's what it really is about. It's these really incredible actors and actresses who um, get kind of brushed aside because you, you look at these mega celebrities and superstars and excuse me um just because they're not mega famous it doesn't mean that they're um that their impact on their projects is not substantial so i was just kind of shooting the shit with you about it and the guy that i'm speaking of is james ramar uh, I hope I'm saying his last name right. Yeah. Reamer or Remar. Remar. Um, so, the first time I can remember me, like, actually thinking of James Remar is the Sex and the City TV show, where he plays Richard Wright, who is one of the partners of Samantha Jones, and he is a high-powered hotel magnate. And Samantha, if you don't know, is this really savvy, strong, sexual businesswoman. And you would think that, like, their chemistry is perfect because Samantha has never really been one to want a monogamous relationship. And neither does Richard Wright. And in the show, it's six seasons, and he is in... I think the fifth and the sixth season and you kind of like look at him more he, he's a, a tertiary character because you know the, the girls are all together but then they have like their their romances and, and the guys are always kind of they're they're interesting but all of the relationships are are kind of like aside but something about the way that he played Richard Wright, opposite of Kim Cattrall <laughs> as Samantha, was just perfect. And he had that, because he's handsome anyway, but he had this like very suave, um, you know, Samantha, there's this one part where Samantha kind of like stood up to him because Samantha is known to sleep around and she was trying to get the PR for one of his um, hotels and she's like no I want all of them and he's like it's a big job you, you can share it and she's like no and he's and then she was like do we really need to talk about what's going on here 
it's because I'm a woman. And he's like, no, it's because you slept with one of my architects. And she's like, that was 10 years ago. And then she got really pissed off. And she's like, if I was a man, you would have given me a key to a hotel room, shook my hand and let me go upstairs. But because I'm a woman and she got really mad and really upset and she like just dashed out of there. And the way he just like looked so dumbfounded. And then you hear like, talking over where he he called her and offered her the job well they ended up not just working together but they got very sexual and all and it was perfection then i met you and you showed me warriors and i'm like greatest movie ever i was like this is the same guy this is richard wright and ajax <laughs> and then we find out he's ajax in the warriors and then i started thinking back to the old Mortal Kombat movie, and I'm like, he's Lord Raiden. And it was just like, like blowing my mind. And I started thinking, I need to like kind of look up all of his, you know, his IMDB. And I'm gonna go back because there, you, there's other things too that are pretty notable, like Dexter's dad, Harry mm. Morgan. Yeah. And he has done so many guest appearances on TV shows. Um, like, oh, I see a But here's one. He was in Judge Dredd, 95. It just says Block Warlord, uncredited. So he was one of the dudes right. in, that we just don't even know. Um, he was in episodes of Walker, Texas Ranger. He was in the Justice League TV series that came out in 2001, episodes of The X-Files. Um, yeah, Sex and the City, he was Richard Wright. Um, let me see where there was one that really kind of like, I didn't even, I didn't realize it. Um, I'm sorry. He was a voice in Rat Ratatouille. He was one of the, um, he was the Rose. Um, one of the, the the fucking LaRousse. He was one of the, the chefs. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, um, let me search Google for LaRousse so I can. Was that the main chef? I think so. Hold on. All right. Well, my, uh, my, my actor that I chose. No, he was, he was, uh, one of the sous chefs. He wasn't the little chef. He was one of the oh, sous okay. chefs. Okay. But he, he, like, you, he just does things and you're like, okay, he was in Pineapple Express. I don't remember that. Yeah. He was I, in an episode of Criminal Minds. Um. I probably remember that. He That's... was in episodes of The Vampire Diaries. Um. He was, there have been some TV series of Batman that really didn't take off. And one of them, he was Two-Face. And in another, he he was, I think it's the newer one, he was um, Commissioner Gordon. That show, Wilfred, which is so weird, he was in. Um, so it just, I, 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 Gotham, that's the, the new one. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm, like, looking at all these things and, like, City on a Hill, my mom and dad are watching that right now. I haven't seen it, um, but he's in that, and they're like, oh, it's so great, and blah, blah, blah. He was in an episode of the new Creep Show. Yeah. So, and he's got, like, three movies in, in pre-production and post-production right now. Um, 
He's done a lot of voiceovers in video games. It's just blowing my mind how much he's been, like, working, and you just kind of see him in the background, but every time he does something, he's kind of like um, another one we can talk about, which isn't quite as impactful as James Ramar, but, like, Sean Gunn, like, he's always... He just pops up. Yeah, he just pops up, like, in everything. He was in sui the Suicide Squad. He's in, um... Guardians. Guardians. He's in, like... Any, probably because James Yeah, because he's, he's his brother, like, just give... But he has, like, that... It's just, you know he's there. And that's what I love about James Ramar, because everything that he does, as soon as you see it, you're like, that's impactful. Yeah, so the actor I chose has a little bit more clout um, and is probably quite a bit more famous than James, but uh, that's Gary Oldman. And uh, mm -hmm. But I always feel like that Gary does kind of get overlooked. I mean, we always think about the really great actors in our time, like, you know, because Jack Nicholson. Because he does stuff with other great actors. Like, look at Harry Potter. But he takes, like, the smallest roles, and he always makes them the biggest things out of him. Like, I forgot that he was in Sid Vicious in the early 80s uh, when they did that film. And then we think of, like, Drexel Spivey from True Romance, where he plays a drug dealer, and he's got the dreads and the scars, and I'm like... He would have told me, I'm like, I can't believe that's him. And uh, what about... um? Isn't he in Leon the Professional? Yeah, that's Stansfield. That's, again, we've talked about that before uh, when we reviewed it because Mickey Mouse bullshit, mm -hmm. and a lot of my quotes come from that character. And that was the review I was reading where the guy said, you know, yeah, it was Natalie Portman and John Reno who were stars, the main stars mm -hmm. of that film, but Oldman had taken Stansfield and really shined, through, like almost overshined them in that film because of his... He just blew it up. Like, just was so extravagant and big with that, that, that role. And then, like, even after a period of time, you forget, oh, my God, Dracula. Like, he played Dracula. That's <laughs> right. And that was a good one. But then it was a huge movie. Like, yeah. you had Winona Ryder in it. And, um... There's a... There, in, 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 one, the fifth movie that was in my list was his uh, role as Commissioner Gordon in the Batman series. And there was one scene that like, it never leaves me. Like, as good as he was throughout the entire thing, the first movie, Batman Begins, when he's talking with Batman about what uh, Scarecrow is trying to do, with, and you know, Ra's al Ghul with the the uh, poisoned water or whatever, the mist. Uh, he does this thing with his voice where he's like, he start kind of like stutters almost while he's saying, yeah, to release the poison. And he does just like Commissioner Gordon in the cartoons. And I'm like, oh my God. Like he narrowed it down that much to mimic like what you would think Commissioner Gordon would sound like in, in live form. That's so great. So I, I just thought that was an amazing part. Now the one runner up I had and I would kind of forgotten about he played Mason Verger in Hannibal, the guy that was all cut up and had the fucked up face who was trying to get revenge on Hannibal Lecter. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so, but he doesn't really get a lot of, like, I don't think he's even credited as much in that role, uh, at least not by uh, a lot of notoriety because it wasn't a real big role in Because you, know, you can't really see his face. It's all makeup and everything. Yeah, but you know what I love him in? Uh... The, the fifth element. Yeah. 
is uh, the evil guy in that. But yeah. then again, you've got Bruce Willis in it, so it's it's you you have this you have an amazing. He's just. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think you see his character super much in that film. I mean, obviously, it's enough to know who he is in terms of the villain, but. Like, really, it's a lot of Bruce Willis, a lot of uh, Milo uh, Jovovich, or whatever her name is. Mila Jovovich. Mila Joe, we'll call her. M. Joe. M. Joe. I'm looking at some of Gary Oldman's... um... Yeah, so, like, uh, I'm trying to think. There's just... uh, He was in JFK. He played Lee Harvey Oswald. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, he's done some... Romeo's Bleed. I don't think I've actually got a chance to sit down with that movie. People do talk about it. He plays a character named Jack Grimaldi, but I have not seen it. Uh, some people listed uh, Immortal Beloved as he was Beethoven in that one. Oh my god, he he was in two episodes of Friends. Yeah. It was Monica and Chandler's wedding. I didn't... Oh god, no. Lost in Space. He played Dr. Zachary Smith. That's right! <laughs> <gasps> oh, fuck, that's right! Yeah. Uh, we talked about Harry Potter, Series Black. He played in like two or three of those films. Uh, let's see. He's in Book of Eli, uh, Red Riding Hood. I did see that. And then these are roles that I don't think were really stand out. They were kind of bad movies anyway. Um, let's see here. Uh, Darkest Hour, I haven't seen yet, but he plays Winston Churchill in that one. So I have not seen that yet. That's really good. We're seeing a lot of similarities with with um, Gary Oldman and with um, what's his face, James Ramar. It's not that they're they're in these really great ensemble casts. So sometimes, even though they have these amazing performances, they kind of fade a little into the background because there's so much going on in in such. I mean, like think about everything that that he's been in like we again like just with the friends thing from 2001 that's a huge ensemble cast like yeah even tom Selleck was in friends at one point right. so it's hard to like kind of pin down and it wasn't uh i think wasn't kevin bacon too at one point yeah yeah so i mean it happens like you get a lot of these and the, and, and the Dark Knight, you know, series, like, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of great actors and actresses in that. And with Harry Potter, like, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's a huge ensemble cast. And even if you, um, you know, I, I wish there... It, I, I sometimes think that these types of actors, too, that are very busy, like... James Ramar and Gary Oldman are they? I mean, you can. I'm looking at both of their their list of movies and, and productions. Um, they get very busy, and they start getting known for for being like these side characters, these character actors. And sometimes it just. I oftentimes wonder like how Gary approaches it. Like, you know. I mean, granted, you know, Leon the Professional was an earlier movie in the 90s, so, like, you know, he might just want to be looking for work. Although he'd already done, like, uh, Dracula at that point, so... And that was a big one. Yeah, that was really big. Um, a lot of people sold out the night we went to see it that first weekend, so... That was, like, 92. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, but because... 
the professional was like an independent film so it was like off the reservation a little bit for him at that time but man he made so much of that character and we had to kind of laugh because I had kind of forgotten where I'd gotten that saying from I used it a lot and then when you and then heard when it, I watched I was like there it is yeah that's where you got this shit and I'm like yeah it is and uh, it's just some things, like, it stands out to you. And, I mean, I already know who my next character or actor is going to be. But, uh, yeah, it's almost a similar thing because this person does a lot of these supporting roles and, like, he makes the most of them, which is quite amazing. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's a cool little thing. I don't know exactly what we're going to call this segment, but, uh, you know, just judging by, you know, our first two choices it's a, it's a lot to uh, really like about both those guys and really Ajax even now when people talk about the Warriors even though we all agree it's a great film like one of the characters that always stands out is Ajax is Ajax yeah fucking wimps <laughs> <laughs> well you know which one I think I'm gonna take the next time and I think for me when I think about it this particular actor um he is like you know amazing to me because i love him but when you start thinking about like what he's done as his own it's only like one thing that he was like the actual um title character because everything else that he's been in he has really been um, kind of like a side character, you mm. know? And good, because, I mean, he's been in some great shows and, I mean, award-winning shows that people liked what he did. Um, but if you start thinking about where is his, like, you know, his solo there's only like one real thing and um but he's an amazing actor and i hope he's james bond one day <laughs> yeah, right. yeah yeah all right well let's get back into our music um a lot of brand new stuff coming up um new stuff from amkin megadeth blind guardian dynasty Got some classic material from Hydrovane, but here's some brand new Grave Digger with The Last Crusade.
Zelba with the bandy thorn. You're listening to the Hordes of Chaos only on Metal Tavern Radio. Pump it.
Introducing the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast, available today on your favorite podcast platform. Metal Tavern is a heavy metal, rock music, and movie podcast where they discuss movies, music, current events, and feature live interviews with bands, artists, and YouTube personalities. They spotlight independent labels and feature the underground bands the label represents. Again, that's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Stream it today on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, YouTube, and at the website MetalTavernRadio.com. Many episodes up for you to listen to already, and make sure you subscribe to be notified of future releases. That's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Go listen, download, and subscribe today.
You can also connect on Facebook, search Metal Tavern Radio, and follow the guys on Twitter at DJ Anubis88 and DJ underscore Nico Caffrey. Good music there, brand new stuff, and old stuff, and good stuff. I'm Nico. Nico. Nico Suave. <laughs> Alright, it's time for our rock block. Uh-huh. Got Nico's pick of the week in there. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the oddest pieces of music in our block today. Have, have you ever heard that song? Uh, no, and I, I previewed it, of course, and I'm like, man, there's a lot of horns in this. <laughs> well, let's be fair. I think, I don't know if I mentioned it on the air, but I know I mentioned it to you last week. Um, it is probably the most sampled song ever. It's like been on record that it is the most sampled song because there's a lot going on. But it's very, very um, representative of its time, if you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a, I got, you know, aside from that, I've got a lot of new stuff that I've been trying to get worked into our rock blocks and whatnot. And uh, I got some stuff from Nebula, Iris Divine, Keteret, classic material from Baron Cross. And to kick us all off, brand new stuff from Muse. Just heard this week. And I started listening to the first part of this album. I'm like, eh, you know, just because Muse has always been one of those hit or miss bands with me. Like, it's mostly like, miss with me. But as I got towards the later part of the record, there was like two or three tracks that I really enjoyed. And this one was like my favorite. Okay. And it's actually kind of the most different from a lot of the stuff that they have on the record. So I was Is kind it of, like anti-Muse? Almost. Uh, and it's funny because it's called Killer Be Killed. So here we go with Muse. New stuff from them.
everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 to noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio.
Iris Divine, Silver Tongue Delight. Good stuff. Good stuff. I what was I was saying it started off sounding kind of like Devin Townsend and then you were saying it kind of sounded like a helmet. helmet. Yeah. So it's kind of got like a nice uh and then it kind of morphed into its own thing so there's some cool real riffs in there and whatnot so So what do you got for us today? I don't even know how this uh <laughs> I don't know how... It started with something else last week, because that's when you came over. You're like, oh, yeah, 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 I need uh, to do this. I forgot about this song. Um, I think we were actually talking about the band Chicago and their evolution, and I was doing... Yeah, we were talking about how, like... They they started off as the Chicago Transit Authority. Right, so they could start out, like, almost classic rock, and then they became, like, an 80s pop rock band, and then... I mean, they were, like, early ska, if you think about it. They right. had the horns and everything. And I forgot about this song because it's actually, <laughs> it was off of Chicago 13 and it was like their worst album ever. And this song was their like, uh, their disco song. I definitely heard that in there. Cause so, like, as I'm listening, I'm like, this is so disco era. <laughs> 1979. And, um. So our listeners are like, what the fuck? You Look, if we played Kiss... You guys wouldn't be bitching, so you gotta just suck it up. Because they, they are a rock band. There's no way getting around it. They are a rock band. And they've been, like, if you listen to their, like, late 60s, early 70s stuff, it's completely different than their, like, 1985 stuff. Um, I mean, Peter Cetera has been with um, Chicago since 1969. And now, left and came back and obviously everything. he came back, okay. He came back because they did... He left and then he did his solo career. But even while he was... Um, what was it? 19... 1981 was his first solo album. And it was on Warner Brothers, which Chicago was also on. And he personally bought the rights off of his previous... Con excuse me. He bought his rights from his contract with Columbia Records, who would not release him from Chicago. So, he still was with Chicago, but also did a solo record as well in 81. And then, in 84, that was Chicago 17, and that was the, the big one, you know, with uh, You're the Inspiration, mm -hmm. and um, they got, like, two nominations for uh, or three nominations and everything but he left Chicago and um, he Satara said it wasn't like amicable but it wasn't like the worst but they kind of like reunited later hold on where is it oh no maybe he didn't prospect of a reunion with Chicago. Okay, so it didn't actually happen. So, um, but it's actually interesting because I didn't realize how how involved Peter Cetera was in the 70s because I thought he was more like the breakout of the 80s Chicago. But he actually sings on this song, too. He's the vocals, and he was the bassist, too. But if you listen to this song, it's nothing like the 80s Chicago and it's nothing like the 70s or 60s. It's like a whole different 
And people are, like, the Chicago fans, they just did not like this album. They didn't like this song. But this is the only song, because it's kind of a dancey song, that um, even hit the Billboard but it didn't, I mean, it the, the album hardly made gold. It was... Did this come out after 24, the 6, mm-hmm. 95, whatever? Yeah. 24, 95? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 24, 6, 2, go. Yeah. Yeah. This is um, Chicago 13. Their most... Um, what's the best way? Their least successful album. <laughs> so... This song has often been called the most sampled song ever. And in the 90s, this is this is also how we kind of started talking about it. There was a band called the Bucketheads that actually wrote sampled this song and wrote a song called um The Bomb. And it it was just like DJs like sampling this and, you know, remixing it and stuff. So I really did like that <laughs> a lot. It was very 90s. It was very much, you know, up my, my alley. And I've always been a big ska person. So Chicago, just growing up, my, my parents like Chicago, just, always a big fan of the horns and like, you know, Earth, Wind and Fire and all of like, I'm, I'm a big fan of these gigantic bands where you have 13 members and 12 singers and, you know, Mighty Mighty Boston's, Pie Tasters, all of that. This song, you said you you never really heard it until mm. I, I said, oh, you got it. Until recently, yeah. You, you guys, if you don't recognize this song, you're going to recognize a sample of this song in something. It's been in movies. It's been in other people's music. It's been in commercials. Um, and the song is called Street Player. Um, and... It gets incorrectly, uh, it's, it's kind of like, um, people don't know what, what Peter Cetera is singing because he's kind of doing it a little falsetto. So, um, it, it gets incorrectly, uh, like, pour some sugar from it. <laughs> so it kind of gets like one of those a lot because they don't know what they're actually saying. Now, a little background on this. Um, A lot of people do consider Chicago 13 the worst that they ever made, but Street Player is kind of like what people consider the redeeming quality because it was was written kind of, and if you watch the video, it was kind of written as a day in the life of being on the mean streets of Chicago in a tough Italian neighborhood and um, I feel like it kind of like if you if you listen to the lyrics um, if you can understand them uh, you'll kind of get that so anyway this is my it's my spiel on street player it's just a pretty it's a pretty badass song and I, I when I was doing some research on it because honestly, I'm one of those people who forgets about this song, and I only think of the Bucketheads uh, like remix of it. I'm gonna start listening to it. I'm gonna be waiting for the like the bass to drop or something. Um, anyway, please enjoy. Str- oh, 
Hold on. Uh-oh, uh-oh. What you got? What you Check got? it out. This is our ad for uh, Metal Mania. Oh, my. We're going to take a quick break here, folks, and just check this out. It's being done live. What? The video we made. Oh, my. Hey, gang. We are Metal Time Radio, and I am DJ Anubis. And I'm DJ Neko. We are proud to sponsor this year's Tennessee Metal Devastation Festival in Lexington, Tennessee on October 8th. We do a weekly show that highlights metal, old and new, and do deep dives on current events and pop culture and all things entertainment. We would love for you to check us out with any requests and recommendations for future podcasts if you like. You can find us at www.metaltavernradio.com which provides not only our podcast, but our 24-7 live internet radio, as well as all of our social media links, including our YouTube channel. Hope to see you on October 8th. <laughs> there you go. There you have it. That was that The was... Tennessee Devastation Festival, sponsored by Metal Tavern Radio, and we'll get right back to Neko's Pick of the Week. It's also sponsored by, hold on, we've got... Um, oh, uh, Metal Devastation uh, Promotions. Metalomania. Yep. Um, Morgue Rot Magazine. Black Doomba. Midwest Records. Metal Promotions. Dragonfly Hemp Company. Killjoy. Hold on, what else have we got here? Enchanted, what is that? Oh, it's a tattoo parlor. Yeah, they, nice. got, they got a lot of things going on at that festival. And it's so. actually really funny because... What we're what we're noticing is like it's getting a lot of like people on Facebook going. I hate that they're saying devastation. Like, is are they going to be sacrificing people? And I hope you know there's. I actually hope there are like protests or something from a bunch of Christians because they're like, this is a Christian community. Why? Why? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about it too, and I know we're getting off. We're supposed to get into the song, but like. When we go, and I like, I don't know how many protesters will be out there and all this, but I like, I just, I'm gonna kill them with kindness. Like, they're not, no, they're not, they're not gonna know what hit them because they're gonna expect us to be assholes. And maybe some people will, but I'm gonna be like, look, I'm cool with you, man. It's fine. You know, we're not here to sacrifice babies or anything. We're here to have a good time. So you can sit out here and you can yell at us, and we're gonna go in there and we're gonna scream and yell at the bands, and we're gonna have a good time. I'm having a good time. We're all having a good time. So here we go. Nickel's pick of the week. Check it out. Audio jump. Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. We will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow, and we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. DJ Neko's pick of the week. 
Slithers? No one else will be here with an ounce of black metal. Well, no one of me. Black metal, Devin Townsend, and the interpreter of the comments from SoundQ. You are in the company of DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Power Radio. The best place to be. Stay tuned with these legends. That's right. We're legends. In our own minds! <laughs> Thanks to Nuno, of course, for doing that wonderful fucking uh, liner for us. We appreciate it much. Alright, so we're going to get to the doc that we watched a few weeks back called I Killed My Dad. And basically, uh, it's a true crime doc uh, dealing with the... Uh, what is his name? Anthony Template. Yeah, Anthony Template, who uh, shot and killed his dad. I forget the year. Um, well, he's still... It took place in 2019, I guess. Uh, so it's, it's pretty fresh still. So he was living with his dad and stepmother. And so one night he shot his dad and then uh, called the police, I think. Yeah, yeah. he called the police and yeah, said, I, guess, I just shot my dad. Yeah, so... He uh, claimed self-defense, blaming his dad was trying to get at him and break in the, the bedroom and everything. And uh, so the police are investigating this, but they're not. Things aren't adding up really because he ended up shooting his dad like two, three, or four times. Uh, yeah, and and one and, of them was in the back. So mm -hmm. like his dad was clearly uh, running away from in the house. Uh, so early on when they've arrested him and they've questioned him and of course he sees like a a psychiatrist who is he's showing like signs of how would you call it, it it's not it, it's lack of empathy but it's like something else like he's just despondent i guess and almost like a borderline personality disorder almost like he he was so sheltered he did not have any kind of emotions more than anything like the only thing he was really exposed to were the things that his father allowed him to be exposed to does that make sense yeah okay and so uh not even school like he was homeschooled right right um so yeah, his education is poor. Like, it's not where he, where it needs to be for his age. Um, in the neighborhood, people don't really talk to them much. And because he can't leave the house much, uh, I was telling Neko that while we were watching this, I was like, something's not right. Like, this is just weird. Yeah, because he, he was very flatly just describing, like, I locked the door. He kept trying to bust in, and it was, like, not feeling sad or sorry or anything. It was just kind of... Well, the weirdest thing for me was, when you watch this, you'll know, you'll find out that the father had put up, like, cameras around the house, and, like I said, they wouldn't let Anthony leave. And I thought, and I told her, I said, what is it the father's hiding? Why is he keeping Anthony in the house? Like, was Anthony abducted? 
like picked off the street like something isn't adding up and so as time goes on in this doc we start to find out that the uh, father has had a lot of problems right with anger and rage and at one point had put anthony's mother in the hospital multiple times yeah and we find out that she had restraining orders against the dad and she was in texas but the dad was in louisiana and she put the restraining order on the dad while she's in his dad while she's in texas but because anthony's father is so um narcissistic and manipulative he's living in louisiana he's pretty successful and he has decided to put out his own restraining order and get his own um, private detective to watch Anthony's mother. And he ends up abducting Anthony from his mother, even though there's a restraining order, because he has his own restraining order with, with faults saying that his mother was a psychopath. Yeah, it has something to do with, like, the states they were in, so... Because it, it crossed state borders, and this is, you know, a while ago, so it was before, like, people were sharing information. So after, um, after the mom realizes what had happened, um, you know, she goes out she's trying to find missing persons and blah 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 so when anthony goes and kills his father they start digging in and find out that this child was a missing person for a long time yeah like somehow i forget who it was i think it was like either uh a journalist or some reporter had dug deeper like they saw something was inconsistent here uh and one of the things that an article in the review geek.com points out is that the show reveals fundamental issues with the judicial system and demonstrates how it should be more inclined to collect information than to make baseless assumptions. For example, with little information, the investigator concludes that verbal abuse, this is what Anthony was saying the night of the shooting, is not a sufficient justification to sue someone. But what they're really getting at is, like, the police and the investigators never dug any deeper, like... Like, for us, we're watching this and we're questioning why is the dad keeping this kid... Like, homeschooling is not abnormal, but the way it was gone about, like, he wouldn't even leave the house. Like, kids that are homeschooled aren't, like, kept prisoners inside the house. With all these cameras. Right. And he, he wasn't allowed to make certain phone calls. Right. And then we learned, too, that his stepmother was the victim of abuse by his father as well. And she had left the father and, and then she left him behind and left anthony behind so he his dad was kind of losing it he was he lost his job he was in a lot of debt he was kind of spiraling out of control drinking a lot and you know they alleged to maybe some other drug use but he was just kind of losing it he was just all over the place and um he was super monitoring everything that Anthony did. Like, he took... This is kind of what the tipping point was. He he took Anthony's phone, remember, and was blaming him and saying that he um, was talking to his stepmother, and that's what escalated the fight. Anthony, like, the stepmother, clearly, she's been with Anthony's father for a long time, loves the father, um, 
And when, you know, the father was shot, she was distraught. Like, you know, he, even though she left him, she still loved him. And she knew she herself was a victim of this abuse too, but she took her, herself and her biological son and they left. And Anthony kind of felt abandoned. But as you watch this docu-series, you kind of see like everybody is working their way through what is going on because even though the stepmother was abused and she did love Anthony's father, she, she loved Anthony. She even said like, you know, I was allowed to teach him some things, but he had maybe like a fourth grade level. Yeah, his of, dad purposely kept him undereducated so he wouldn't figure shit out. Like, in order to occupy Anthony, all he did was play video games in his off time. So, I don't think he even allowed him to watch regular TV. So it was he just. Worked, I, I did have a job at like a. Um, I don't want to call it a florist, but he was working in a greenhouse. Mm -hmm. But that was he got the job through his father it was somebody his father knew like it was very everything was very controlled yeah uh so yeah they end up charging anthony uh i think it was second degree murder at the time which is interesting considering they didn't believe him about like having like verbal abuse being a good reason to shoot but they kept it at second degree murder because they knew something was weird but... and the, and then when things started unfolding um this defender lawyer he saw a lot of himself and anthony and he took on this and he's a very good lawyer like mm -hmm. you could tell he was very well off and he's done really well but he saw a lot of himself. he got really emotionally involved because like he would cry at times when talking about the case he said he said he had been through a lot similar to anthony and that's why he wanted to take the case because he didn't want the system to just you know suck up this child who really had been a victim of abuse himself and um he was doing everything he could to talk to the da and explain like you know things that he'd learn and he put everything he his time his research reaching out to to family members and everything um it really you could tell you knew you could tell that this man was well off he made a lot of money doing what he did to defend people but he just saw so much hope in anthony that he did not want to see him get sucked up by the system and thrown into jail for life for 30 years because he said what is that going to do when this kid has basically been in jail his entire life already like he's he's been in his and that's, own jail and that's one of the things about like the early uh analysis by the psychiatrist about how she kind of felt that anthony was like a danger still like she just says he's evil or yeah she didn't come out and say but mm -hmm. it was like because he didn't show a lot of emotion and this is the problem with this type of shit is there's a reason behind it like being mm -hmm. being despondent doesn't mean that you're evil or that you uh can't grow out of it like but he has a lot of trauma there that she just wasn't unraveling she just assumed that he was a Psychopath. random yeah. right a random kid who just shot his dad and she didn't believe for a minute that 
there could be another underlying issue. And so as the doc goes on, you start to unravel a lot of this. And even towards the end, um, we get a glimpse of Anthony when he's already out of prison and with his, his uh, birth mom. Uh, who is reconnected with him and it, it takes him a while like he when he first meets her like he's friendly uh and he remembers some things with her but he he has a hard time showing any kind of affection because he's so used to the alienation that his dad gave him that it just kind of left him kind of hollow so it was like they had to rebuild him so by the time he finishes the doc like when they're interviewing him he's like going he actually has tears he starts crying like because Denny's able to let go of a lot of that pain that he had. And this is the things that psychiatrists are supposed to get down to. This is what their job is. And, like, they missed it. And this kid could have very easily, without that lawyer, could have easily spent the rest of his life in prison. And probably would have been worse off for it. So it's just, it's a good doc. And it's very interesting. And, uh... It just shows you, it does show you how, like, the system itself is broken down. Like, you know. I mean, they they, they did tell Anthony, like, part of his sentence, he's required to obtain a high school diploma. Which he's doing. Which he's doing. Attend counseling and find a job or go to school full time, like, if he wants to go to college. Um, And if he's able to do these things and stay out of trouble, his criminal record could eventually be expunged. And. Up until this point, if you think about it, what has he done? Nothing. He was being attacked by his dad, but then he also, when his dad started coming out, because his dad had the gun, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, his dad was coming after him. Anthony knew that there were guns in the house. He was in his dad. I wasn't in his dad's room that he kind of, like, blockaded himself and then got the gun and shot his dad because his dad started like breaking down the door. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember the exact details. Um, but you know, at first, and this is what every DA does. You know, you go after like just the circumstantial evidence, and you know, Anthony actually called the police. Like it was, he knew he did something wrong, but he knew why he did it. But he was kind of at the point where he can't articulate anything. He can't right. say what's wrong. He can't explain. Because he, first of all, he didn't know he was abducted because he was, what, five? He was a child. Yeah. He didn't, he Because he knows who the guy is. It's not like some random dude mm-hmm. picked him up. He knew who his dad was. And the way that his dad would lay it out is, you know, the mother abandoned him. Your mother was crazy. I had to save you from, right. you know, So he grows that. up undereducated, believing everything that his dad is telling him. And his dad, on the other hand, <laughs> some personal experiences myself similar, is like dad's like basically buying his love. Like, okay, I've got you a game system. You can play video games a day, even though you can't leave the house. And they even, you know, you can see it on the footage. And you can get back into your story because this kind of leads into it. You can see it into the in the footage. Um, you know, there were times where the police were called. But then when the police talk to Anthony, he just is there with his dad and says there's no problem because his dad's standing right next to him. Yeah, and that makes you him nervous and intimidated. And at the same time, it's like there's a sense of fear that, oh, if you take my dad away, then who's going to take care of me? Like, he's just, there's he's a young kid. 
And so you have all this dilemma that you're dealing with uh, because you do go through some volatile moments with your dad, but you believe in your heart that he cares for you. And that, you know, maybe that's the case that his dad had, but it's it's a weird... Or it could be the... Um, just control. Like, well, no, it is control because we remember, recall, the reason why the dad took Anthony is because he, he, wanted to, he wanted to have someone with his ex-wife. That's what it was. He didn't like the fact that she initially won by uh, in the court when they went to get divorced. That he she got the the kids and everything, and so basically uh, when he got uh, lost, that he's that's when he went and tried to find loopholes where he got uh, to the other uh, state. Yeah, the other state, and, and found a way to, to snag the kid from the grandmother at the time, who really didn't know the situation, didn't know how to handle it. And so once that happened, he was able to take Anthony without... Uh, because he filed and, his own lawsuit. Right, and he just disappeared. That was the problem. Like there, And there is some problems with the, the birth mother. She kind of like... She didn't have a lot of money and... She, but she kind of gave up. Like it was... I know she really cares for Anthony now that they're together again. They're, they're rebonding. But there was a sense that... She kind of gave up a little too early on finding him. But she she admitted that, and she said, "Listen, I, I had no way to find him. I did everything I could with my resources, but I kept hitting walls. Like he, she didn't know he was in another state. This is you know, nineteen years ago. The internet was not what it is now. You know it." it I, I know she did give up, but I can also sympathize with her because, you know, Anthony was lucky he got free legal representation. Sorry, kitty cat's a little bit ill. She's hacking up a hairball. Sorry, guys. Um, but yeah, it's a really interesting doc. And I'm it, gonna it's, go deal with her. It's fine. And it's got a lot of great information. Uh, and it's very interesting. Like there are obviously some biases for each character that's involved with the, but I that's mean, usually how it goes because you have certain things like that whenever they put these things together. But uh, the important thing is that you learn like how someone is treated, and especially with kids, on situations like this because at first you're just thinking, okay, this kid's spoiled, plays video games all day. Got gets to whatever a, he wants. Got a verbal altercation with a dad and shot him. You think, oh, okay, this kid's just a fucking thug, you know, wannabe criminal at the end of the day. Or, or maybe just a psychopath because right. like, he didn't get his way. So, But you. But as it starts to unravel and you're finding out what dad's doing, these certain things, he's homeschooling and he's got cameras and the kid can't leave the house, can't have friends, and it's like, this is weird. Something's wrong. I, I honestly think... and. There, I told you there have been some kind of like, I don't even know if I said this to you. I might have said it to like one of my friends where, and I, tr please understand I'm not comparing my parents to anything because I, I did not go through anything like this. But as, as you become older, and I'm in my 40s now, you start thinking about like behaviors that your parents um, might exhibit. And again, I'm not talking about anything like uh, like this, but I think, you know, 
Anthony was so emotionally immature, number one, mm-hmm. that he couldn't... And I mean, look, one thing that I discovered recently and really kind of like accepted it about my father is I think that everything in his life um, is kind of like what's the right word when he was young he was he was uh, a very good baseball player and he was supposed to be um, drafted and he was supposed to go to like certain colleges and stuff and it didn't pan out and I think he always looks back on that and do you know what I mean like he's always regretful and has lived his entire life trying to like push that down that regret but it comes up you can see it when things happen like maybe he might they might be uh struggling with money or he didn't retire as early as he wanted to you know you know what i mean like you can tell and you can tell like he um a lot of times you can tell he gets angry and he's always like irrationally angry and it's like this was kind of like a consolation prize life for him where he had his whole life kind of laid out to him at age 18, 19, and it was supposed to be this great, amazing life and he should have been retired 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it never panned out because he had an injury in his shoulder and after the injury, it just never came back and then he had a bad attitude because it wasn't as good I'm telling you that's I that realization to me I was like this is why like most of his life he's just been non-stop grumpy went and just irrationally mad about the smallest things because this is his consolation prize not that I'm sure he loves us and he's happy like to be a father and all like but it's easy to go in that dark place in your mind when you had something it's like winning the lottery and then losing the lottery ticket and it's like i could have had 300 million dollars but i washed my lottery ticket and i have no proof that i bought it kind of thing Mm -hmm. It, it that's what i think he does a lot of times maybe not as much now that he is officially retired but now he's like well what the fuck i'm 63 like right you know so i think that level of emotional maturity I didn't have it until now, and I'm 40. Anthony clearly didn't have it. I still don't have it. Well, <laughs> I, I'm going to give you my psychoanalyzation on you. Oh, shit. No, it's actually, it's not mean. Um, I know that growing up, you were not allowed to do a lot of things. And, um, you can see it now. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's kind of, you're kind of like, it is kind of funny because I when she and she knows this. I tell her all the time, like having this basement the way that I think I do, teenage Scotty would be having proud. the you know to get vinyls and cassettes. I mean, I, I did that during my years, but not to this kind of like I'm able to go back now and kind of rediscover and get some cool things. And now, like I'm doing these tarantulas and stuff. So. I mean, even little things. I'm living my kid's life now. Like, I, and it's not like I really 
worked my ass off as an adult. I, I just wasn't there. Like, just too many things were out of place for me. I'm, I've always said that my life is about things not lining up correctly. So if I had a good job, something else wasn't going. Like, I couldn't take care of myself. It wasn't making enough. Or... You were ha you were struggling emotionally for a while. Right. So it, it's always been, like, just certain things weren't in place. And so now with her like yeah I, I've, I've got it you know people we make fun of me because i got it kind of easy which i do but at the same time it, it's kind of like i'm finally now able to kind of do like god i wish i could have done this at 18 like the radio the podcast and I, I just imagine myself where i could be within the industry had i started younger had that opportunity now granted i i don't have a radio voice we know this um and, you know, I'm not the smartest cookie in the cupboard, but, I mean, I have a passion for this. And you have exposure. And that's the other thing, yeah. too, is, like, especially if you were younger and, let's say, I was 10 years older and we were, like, kind of the same age and, and we were around each other, We, I think I would have been good for you. Mm -hmm. And, but what I mean, like, this is not, trust me, it's not, like, I'm not making fun of you at all. It's, you are living... I'm not saying your your childhood or your teenagehood again now, but like you were never allowed to do anything. You weren't allowed to have video games. You weren't allowed to have posters. You weren't allowed to listen to music. You were raised in a weird cultist Christian like based life that basically shamed you for mm -hmm. um, enjoying these types of things. So, you know, we've been together for a very long time and it's only been maybe recently that we've been doing better financially that I'm like more open to like, Hey, spend the money, do whatever you want to do, buy this, buy that. Um, you know, I, at first we've been in this house for 16 years. And at first I was like, don't hang the posters. Don't do this. Don't do that. And then I was like, what, what what are we waiting for? We have... I was going to, like, frame all the posters and do, like... Which we would never have all the room yeah. for. <laughs> so I'm like... I was like, who gives a shit? Just do it. Just put your stickers up. Put your posters up. It's your basement. Like, I mean, honestly, the only real rule I have is don't leave food down here because I don't want to draw mice. <laughs> I mean, right, right. You know, but like, I mean, yeah. It's, it's, it looks like... It's hard to describe unless you've been here, which I know some of our listeners have, but I, I always joke with them and I say, what do you think teenage DJ Anubis would, would think about this? And he's like, oh, if I had this when I was a teenager, man. But it's different because like, and, and I honestly was just saying this to a coworker because I don't even know how it came up. I was talking about how like you just bought the new Madden and they're like, how old is your husband? I'm like 52. And I said, I, I said, I honestly, and I said, and I, I'm like, I'm not saying this like in a mean way at all. I said, but I understand where he's coming from because there was no like playtime when he was a kid. There was no like, you're allowed to play video games. None of that was around or allowed when he was of the quote unquote video game age playing. It was just forbidden. So, you know, He's a fucking adult. If he wants to buy a video game, he's going to buy a video game and play it because guess what? M mommy and daddy aren't around to tell you he can't, you can't play it. And 
Well, yeah, and, and one time that I did have, like, Sega Genesis, I actually put that on layaway. I bought that myself, so... With your Burger King money. You had to, like... I was at the Navy exchange. Okay, so you were, yeah. But so, either way, it wasn't like my parents just said, hey, here you go. Like, I remember in the 80s being young, I never got an Atari or anything like mm-hmm. that. And then, like... And, of course, you know, some credit to my dad and I just... I, and my parents, they were like... No, you need to play outside. You can't be playing on, you know. They instead of instead of saying, have a balance. They were like, no, we're not going to have you sit in front of TV. Now, granted, most kids today need to be outside more. They're just not. Now, some are, some aren't. But one of the bigger problems that we see today is kids are so attached to their electronics that they're not out doing more physical activity. I just read that America is like one of the worst countries when it comes to obesity, and I can kind of see why. It's kind of funny, too, because, like, you and I try, um, we've had, like, a crazy summer with all of our, like, outings and all, and we're getting ready to go away for another long weekend for a wedding, but, you know, you and I are better with doing activities, um, than if it's like, okay, we're gonna go to the gym for an hour, and we, when we took up racquetball, we found, um, a place that's, you know, it's free, we don't, I mean, there are clubs around here and they're quite expensive, but we found a place that's through our, um, you know, recreation and parks that's free. Every time I call, cause we always go at two o'clock on Fridays and we can't this week. Um, and sometimes we do it like Monday nights or Tuesday nights. They're like, Oh, is this for the Anubises? And I'm like, yep, it's us. And then there's another um, young, I mean, they might be 29, 30, those two guys who play Thursday nights. That's like, they do a standing thing every Thursday. And then there's a youth group, and that's it. I'm like, this is free. Like, they have, they have tennis courts that are free. They have all this free stuff for adults and for kids. And we just can't believe, like, now, I, I am happy they did have some, like, with school starting and all, they're playing, like, soccer and all in, on the fields, but every time I call to, like, reserve the court, they know it's us because nobody else goes, and it's free. Like, if you live in Baltimore, you don't, that's all you have to do is live there. They didn't even ask to see our ID. They didn't even care. They were just happy people. Oh, they know it's by face now. Yeah. They're just happy people are coming and using it. And that, yeah, because if you don't, they, they, they find reasons to take them away, like demolish it or make it to something Make else. it into another court yeah, or soccer court, because that's actually pretty popular, soccer and lacrosse. But, like, you're making a great point where Americans don't actually seek out activities, you know, the way that... Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I like playing games. I like doing this, but... Uh, getting out and doing racquetball and going to, you know, still going to concerts. Like, I mean, I'm not going to be doing it as much because my body can't take it as much anymore. But, like, the Devastation Festival, that's one day. I, I can sacrifice one day for that. One you know? day is a lot different than four days right. at MDF. Yeah, and I love MDF. I don't have any problem with those guys or anything. But, like, going forward, when they come back in 2024, we're going to do what you said. Just find, like, one day. We'll still host people here. If people come through from other well, countries well, or states and want to crash here and then go to the show, we will probably go pay we'll the 20 bucks for the parking and lot. And park. Depending and, on where it is. They may not even be in the same spot. But 
you find other ways to get a rent out. We literally could have sat in the parking lot all four days and heard the music with no problem. I said that to my mom the other day. I was like, I said the only reason that we we went all four days is because like it was canceled because of COVID for two years, and um, we already paid for the tickets, so we went. But it was just like. A little disappointing. It was very expensive. There was nowhere to sit, and it was way too expensive. Food. That, that's the problem that I have with these guys. Is and it's not totally their control because it's whoever they get the vendor, they set the prices. But dude, spending sixty three bucks for a hot dog and lemonade, and whatever she had, like it's we had two hot dogs, French fries, and two lemonades, and it was it was sixty five dollars. Yeah, it's just it's absurd. We didn't even buy Absurd. alcohol there. No. We did not. I, it's I, like eight bucks a pop. I'm not doing that. And then like, if you wanted a cocktail, it was 12 Yeah. And that was like cans of beer were $8. And I'm, I think I still paid like 12 bucks for an ice cream cone or something. I can't remember. But but that was really good ice cream. That no, was, it that, is. That fancy ice cream. I'd rather cream. have done that than the food because the food was something I could have bought for like 3 bucks. Well, we started um, packing after the first day. We're like, no. Because that's what everybody else was doing. They were tailgating. And I said, this is what we'll do. We'll, we'll go one day, check out the vendors, and if, and pick a day that's like you want it, like you really want to see Cavalera. So, like, we could have gone yeah, there just are certain to bands. Cavalera. Right. Like, we I want to see Namas because Namas was the big thing that they were first doing this this tour, this festival. So, uh, so there were certain bands I wanted to see, other bands I'd already seen. Uh, but by day three, you're like tired. Like the heat, it's it's one of the hottest parts of the year in Maryland. And you were in a boot at that time, and you 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 hurt your foot, and you were in a walking boot. I was carrying around a little chair for you because there was nowhere to sit. I mean, I know this is off. We've we've gone off. Yeah, t- that's what we do. But I, bottom line is what I'm saying is, we as adults, you and I have recognized in our lives issues and we are either enjoying and and he- in a healthy way like there, there's nothing wrong with having a bunch of posters like it's a well healthy- you, you you said it right uh you live for the now and i'm only gonna mention this because it, it's not the happiest of moments but you know neko lost a friend recently who you would never guess at age 42 be gone just boom like that and so we don't have kids. We have our own passions, our own hobbies, stuff that we do because that's the reality. Uh, either one of us could wake up tomorrow and something happens and we're not here anymore. Mm-hmm. The world. And then we have to deal with the after effects. So like, if it's not both of us at the same time, if I go, you're going to have to deal with the after effects, which you're not going to enjoy. And the same with me. And so then, like... You know, it, it's just a bad thing. Like, so even when you hadn't talked to this person for a while, it I, affected you because you grew up with that person. And and the thing is, is it was a tough couple of years with my mom being sick and with COVID, and my, I, you know, and I was traveling a lot for work, so it wasn't always top of mind to reach out to this friend of mine. We texted occasionally, or like when I would post things like when I was in Hawaii or Taiwan, he would like comment on my pictures and, but he had, um, you know, he had remarried and he moved, um, a little bit of ways and it wasn't like even an argument or anything. It was just like life, what happens to everyone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
when we went to the service, um, we all promised we're all going to be better. We're all going to be better about it. And, and we still haven't heard from people. We, we still haven't heard from people. Which is not, again, it's not a requirement, but, like, that's the thing. Like, but don't you rem- let's just rewind. What would have we all been doing on Labor Day? Like, if this was 10 years ago or 12 years ago. Right. Or... And I, again, this that was is, one of the cooler things when we were all kind of inside the apartment complex because we were all right there. But life goes on, man. People get married, have kids. It changes. One of your friends, Sarah, used to she, hang with a lot. Now she's, she's in kind Washington D.C. and she's got a kid, and um, it changes things. It's like I don't even see my best friend that much. Like I want to see him, but I know he's his kids getting ready to go to college and you know he's, he's still married and doing his thing and and he's got a really really demanding job yeah. and i know like the last time i talked to his friend um he's like yeah we've just been really busy with college visits for our son um so it and it's and it never turns out to be like i mean at least for for me and my friends it, it really wasn't anything malicious it's just like yeah, people life. just grow apart. Like it's not even like growing apart because we all still have a lot of love for you. Because you saw as soon as Jimmy, he lives in uh, three states away. Like the first thing he did was run over. I've known him since I was five. Yeah. Like that's that's what I like. These are some of my closest, oldest, dearest friends that we all kind of turned into this little unit and just dicked around for years and years and years and. We none of us decided we wanted to grow up, but we did just because that's what happens. And so anyway, the moral of the story is do everything while you can because you just don't know what life has in store for you or people that you care about. So and it's okay to feel like I said, Anubis is having his second childhood right now, and it's a hundred percent okay. There is no judgment on my part. I I encourage it you know i anytime something feels tough for us you know i'll bring it up to him or i'll be like okay i really need help with this or you know we're struggling in this area but we've been through a lot of bad things and we've been through a lot of good things and anytime something kind of gets me down I look back to something even worse and I'm like we survived we had zero dollars in our bank account and neither one of us died and we made it through it mm-hmm. so we're always going to push forward together as a couple yeah that's just I I try to stay positive I was having yesterday we were going to do the podcast and it was one of those days where everything was going wrong did i tell you i spilled my applesauce all over my pants while i was eating lunch like i just like dumped it down i don't know why i everything you could think of was going wrong uh the cleaners you know couldn't get the cleaning the the shirt laundered the guess what happened we're both still standing here and I'm going to pick up the cleaner, the clothes from the cleaners tomorrow, and we're going to have a nice weekend, and it's going to be okay. And I think the lesson that we're learning from Anthony now that he's been given a second chance in life is he's realizing that 
he's going to be okay. He's not going to yeah. be living on this, like, razor's edge his entire life. And he is uh, yeah, I think everyone blessed. Everyone who's around him is going to make sure he's going to be okay. And they're looking after him and helping him grow, which is what you want. So check it out. I mean, it's good. that was quite the tangent. But I'm, I'm happy to, again, happy to be here doing something that you love. And happy for all support. And all your support, too. All right, well, here's some brand new, or I have some brand new Doom Cave coming up, uh, classic grotesque. And here's some brand new size. will make Jason and Stefan happy. Oh, Jason.
What's up, everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? Well, they suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. Alright. Back to talk a little bit about hockey. Oh yeah. The best thing is to... I love me some hockey. And that was one thing I think that... I don't want to say surprised you when we first met. It was like... uh, You were like so into football and I'm like uh, yeah I think I watched the Super Bowl once and but I was like yeah I really like hockey so then when you suggested this movie and you're like it has Swayze and hockey and you've never seen this movie he was just like so shocked and I was all in right away I'm like yep this is this is the movie of my life this is this is what I came here to watch <laughs> yeah so um Basically, I showed her Young Blood from 1986. <clears throat> it's a movie that stars Rob Lowe, Patrick Swayze, Ed Lawler, Cynthia Gibb, uh, Fanola Flanagan, and uh, a young and early role for Keanu Reeves. It's more like a cameo. Yeah, because you, you think about it, he's actually a part of their team as a goalie, but like you don't see much of him. I don't he even think he like, says anything, no. Uh, he says a couple of things, but not much. Um, but Rob Lowe plays Dean Youngblood, who is working on a farm with his dad and his older brother. And he's a hockey player who wants to try to make it a local team. Well, it's not really local, but... Uh, wants to go out and, and try do a tryout to make what is the uh, what do they call them the um, oh they're in Canada it's, it's the bombers and they're the Mustangs the Mustangs that's what it is so he's trying to make the team for the Mustangs and it's it's more like a division two or three like lower level before you can you know try and make your it's way like junior together. hockey yeah. right so you basically have to start there. And, uh, you know, at first his dad is like, you know, we really can't afford for you to leave. That We got stuff to do on the farm. And, of course, 
Dean is very like, you know, I don't want to live the rest of my life on a farm. I want to do something. His older brother had tried himself, himself at hand at um, doing hockey, but got hurt when he got a shot to the eye. So He's basically, I mean, I don't think he's blind, but I think he's impaired and yeah. they can't pl play hockey anymore like they i don't know what they did but they it looks like maybe a contact or something like his one eye is like the the color of the iris is basically black so uh at first you know there's a lot of hesitation by the dad who really is trying to keep dean from leaving to go do this but his brother uh blaine uh somehow encourages you know convinces his dad to uh let him take him up there because you know the way he plays it off is he tells his dad look let the kid go up there for a couple of weeks he's gonna get burned out he's not gonna make it he'll be right back here with his tail between legs which deep down blaine wants dean to succeed but you really don't know what outside of that outside of himself like you can see it as a viewer but uh Blaine is basically trying to encourage, in a way, for uh, for Dean to get out there and and, and get the to make it, because he couldn't do it. Um, so Dean goes up there. He's driven up there by Blaine for the tryouts, and as he's there trying out, uh, Ed Lauder plays Murray Chadwick, who is the coach of the Mustangs, who also has a daughter, Jesse Chadwick, played by Gibb. Um, but we find out about that a little bit later, but. Uh, Dean's up there. He's trying out. Uh, the team already has uh, some other guys who are like getting ready to make a playoff run. So this is sort of like you know after the season's been over. So this is like playoff run time that uh, Dean is going up there to try out because they lost one of their guys. Uh, Patrick Swayze plays Derek Sutton, who's like the star of the team right now, and uh, they're kind of watching from the the bench areas um, all the tryouts and they're kind of mocking them a little bit and seeing who's going to make it who's not and it comes down to basically um, Racky who is played by George Finn and uh, Rob Lowe of course Dean Youngblood so Dean is very fast like he's, he's kind of an arrogant cocky guy and he's got like a lot of a um, he's good with the stick yeah, he's he's got a lot of the moves, but he's he's only about 160 pounds. Yeah. He's and, and so one of the things they keep warning about is like you know don't let him catch here, and he's like, well, they, I'm too fast; they can't catch me. But as we learn, like as the tryouts are going on, uh, Racky's on what do you call it the uh, the pen or whatever the where they go to sit down on the bench. The penalty box. Well, yeah, but he wasn't in the penalty box at the time, but. He was called to the bench, and so that's when they put Dean in, and he was flashing around and scoring, and you know it catches the the attention of Chadwick, who's like he really wants like a scorer and a fast guy. Uh, he he likes Racky because Racky's a goon, uh, and this guy George Finn actually plays a very good villain in this. Like uh, it was very believable. He's really really good at it. Uh, I don't know what else. And he he's also been in. like. Is huge. Yeah, he's he, a he looks big like he's dude. 35 compared to all these <laughs> other kids. He's like he didn't graduate a few times. Uh, so Dean's up there showboating, and finally uh, Chadwick's like, "All right, well, let's send Racky in because he wants to see how Youngblood handles uh, confrontation with a big, bigger dude." 
And sure enough, Racky has no problem like pushing Youngblood around and, and try to fight him. When they finally do fist fight, Youngblood has no experience with ice skating and fighting. So uh, Racky it's pretty like much... one punch and he's down. Yeah, he knocks his ass out. Uh, and then Racky assumes that he's going to get the last position to join the Mustangs, but... Uh, despite everything, Chadwick's like, look, you know, Racket, you're, you're a big asset, but I need someone who can score, and Youngblood seems to have that speed and everything that I need. Uh, so Racky's pissed, like, he's, he's trying to make it, and he eventually does on the Bombers, which is another team going into the playoffs, but, uh, there's some tension there, obviously, because, uh, Dean's able to, to, to squirrely away the, the last spot. But it doesn't come out with come with its own uh, issues for Youngblood because he's immediately hazed by uh, Sutton and everyone else who shave his private parts. <laughs> he puts his uh, he puts his uh, oh fuck, Patrick Sweezy puts his uh, fucking jock strap on his face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's it's nuts, man. And he's like, you have a visit from uh, Dr. I forgot what his Sutton. Yeah, here's a And it says, like, Dr. Sutton on yeah. his jockstrap. <laughs> and they get the razor out. And then they, they invite him out to drink. But, like, they're all, like, tossing their um, shots. shots over their shoulder. But Dean, who's, I mean, this is, he's, like, like, 17, 18. This is Canada. So, like, back then in the 80s, it was a little bit different. You could drink, I guess. I don't know what the rules are in Canada now. But, like, when I, 20-some years ago, when I went to Europe, it was pretty much the same thing. Like, I just you just drank it was not a big deal as long as you weren't like getting in trouble and um so they're all at a bar and they're drinking but they're they're really setting him up for a hangover <laughs> yeah so you know again it's more of kind of just putting him through the ringer because he's not used to it and uh so they get him drunk and he struggles the next day uh, practicing. So Chadwick's pissed off. He's like, this isn't what I saw the other day. What's going on? And he's like, you're slow. Yeah. He says, you better get your shit together. And, of course, you know, Dean does. But we get to the moment where Dean is staying at a local era, local house uh, that this woman, Miss McGill, has for rent. Uh, this becomes like a key part of the, the film just in terms of hockey players that come through the the town and where they stay and it just becomes a thing where Miss McGill's like this older woman if you want to call her a MILF or whatever you can she basically uh, lets the boys stay there uh, I don't know what if he was paying anything because he wasn't working so I doubtful but it was just sort of like housing for the local hockey players but she had made her way having sex with these guys as well like even Sutton and the rest of my at one point had sex with them you know with her um, so <laughs> they were having tea and I think she roofied him yeah so uh, that became like a little bit of a running joke between all the hockey players and, of course, along the way, Dean meets uh, Jesse Chadwick, Cynthia Gibbs' character, who is sort of, like, helping her dad take care of the, the clubhouse as well as the ice rink by driving the ice machine or whatever it is. Zamboni. Zamboni uh, and all that kind of stuff. But she 
you know, very quick-witted, smart girl. Uh, doesn't really, like, give Dean much of a shot early on. I think he's just, like, a dumb hockey player like usual. Uh, but something about him besides his looks, you know, charisma grabs her attention. They kind of start talking and get closer, which causes tension between uh, Dean and uh, the coach Chadwick because that is his daughter. Um, you would think it would create more tension than it does, but it, you know, reality-wise, it's just it's not a big deal. And I guess this is part of the problem with the film is that the budget probably not allowed for so much character death, so we couldn't really dive into a lot of that deeper than we wanted to. But really, the film doesn't really need it because it kind of runs at a pretty good pace. Um, <clears throat> so, obviously, early on... Uh, the team starts playing in the playoffs, and, you know, they're doing pretty well. Uh, Dean comes in and gets a couple of goals, but, like, Chadwick still has, like, a hard-on for giving Dean a hard time about things, so he benches him uh, for a little while during the games. and like. I think it was giving him the hard time because of his, his daughter. Yeah, indirectly. So he goes, and he's basically... It, there's like tension again between Dean and Chadwick and you know I guess Chadwick's trying to send a message to Dean quit being so cocky about it just be a teammate or mm-hmm. whatever but uh, anyway they, they run into the bombers and this is where Racky comes back in he's like their enforcer and uh, you know with with Dean they do win the first game I don't even know how many games they were supposed to play I think they end up playing like three maybe five I don't know because it depends on how it goes but the way the movie played it out seemed like it was just three games. Maybe for that league, too. I mean, it was three games. But uh, the, the Mustangs win the first game because Dean scores a winning goal or whatever. Um, the second game, they're playing, and uh, there's some tension between Sutton's character and Racky as they're trying to, you know, keep Racky at bay from fucking around with Dean the entire time. But... Uh, at one point towards the end of the game, uh, Racky trips up Sutton and then knocks him on his ass, on his head, which puts him in the hospital. And that kind of like, and that's the game the Bombers won eventually too, but uh, puts Sutton into the hospital. And of course, Youngblood is upset about this because he's grown a good friendship with uh, Sutton, Sutton's character and everything. And, uh, it turns out, I think they said that Sutton couldn't play again, like, something. Well, he was, he had a concussion, and, like, I mean, they didn't get to, uh... Says about a metal plate in his head, but, um, I think it was just a really bad blow that would affect his career. Maybe he was, I, I thought he was teasing him about he, the metal plate in his head. Oh, he might have been, he might have been, like, I might not have caught that, but... Either way, he's out of the playoffs now, and, of course, Youngblood is kind of, like, disheveled about the whole thing like he's just in shock that I guess that Racky could get away with doing that because they ended up blaming another player to, suspension wise <laughs> to keep Racky uh, in the lineup uh, so he just feels really uh, disenfranchised with it all so he goes back home to the farm and of course his brother is giving him a bunch of shit about he shouldn't have quit because um, part of that also is when they got back from the playoff game Chadwick wanted them all to dress up and go practice again, even though Sutton was in the hospital, and that pissed off Youngblood. He's like, I don't want to practice while he's there. 
I guess he felt he needed some time to kind of take it all in and sort of mourn what was going on. I think he was, like, feeling that... Um, Uncaring. That yeah, Chad he was, was feeling like, because the coach was like, we lost, so we need practice, get dressed. And he's like, but Dean's in the hospital. Yeah. This is this is my friend. You know, this is your your player. These the Your friends, too, with him, guys. Come on now. But they're just like... Because they don't want to. They, they're all trying for a bigger goal of getting to the majors. So. Because this will lead into the draft, and that's one thing that Dean said is like I have to go first in the draft in order to. And I think that's what. And that's I, what Derek. Was Derek doing. was thinking too. Yeah, Derek was like, you know, I've been here a few years, and I, I want to get into the majors, so I have to make sure I, I do well. But now the the injury sidelines them from that. Um, so, Dean's older brother is like, look, giving him a rest shake, like, throws hay on him, and when he's trying to get hay out of the barn or whatever, he just keeps fucking with him. So, finally, uh, Dean is at, like, a punching bag in the barn. He's kind of, like, punching around, and his brother comes in and is like, look, let me show you how this is done. Because uh, his brother, not quite as fast as Dean and not quite the score, he was a very physical hockey player, so he was known more for fighting rather than actually scoring. So he was there teaching Dean a little bit of how to punch and handle himself with his fist, which he did. Uh, now, it's funny about this part of the movie because a lot of things are taught to Dean supposedly between game two and game three, the final game of the, the playoffs. So this is essentially 48 hours. Right. So and he, then also, it makes you think it's like two weeks, but it's not that And Derek long. magically is out of bed with a bandage around his head watching the game. Right. Uh, so, yeah, his brother Blaine is teaching him some punching, but finally uh, their dad sees them you know, working together, punching the bag or whatever. So his dad takes Dean out to the ice because his dad, we find out, used to be a hockey player himself. Uh, and, of course, there's a back and forth between dad and Dean because, you know, Dean's like, why you? Why didn't you tell me this shit before? Why like, didn't you help me before? Right, and he's, he's like, like, I didn't want to lose two sons. Right. And so he shows him, like, look, yeah, you can punch a bag all day, but once you're on the ice, you gotta be able to survive got a little, on the got ice. Got a little slipping and sliding. Yeah, you gotta be able to keep your balance, and, you know, so he teaches them this maneuver to, like, pull the jersey up over the shoulder pads. That is classic hockey move, too. Right, and so he's showing them that, and that's how you get the better on it. And while he's doing this, he's provoking Dean. Like, he's... he. <laughs> He's trying everything he can to toughen Dean up, but he's, like, you know, provoking him to try to fight him. So he does. But I think Dean eventually realizes what his dad's doing and takes that to heart. And uh, so then it just takes us back to the final act of the uh, the movie where Dean comes back and he's, like, this is a moment where he sees Chadwick and he's, like, you know, I want I, you need me. But Chadwick's, like, well, I don't need you really. But then you hear this voice says, let him in. And of course, that's Sutton who manages to get out of the bed. Yeah, after having like <laughs> this horrible blow and he's like, oh man, he's got tubes out of him. And now he's walking around like... <laughs> mm. Yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, so they do let him get back in the lap and finally, uh, again, he's not playing right away. But part of this is because they are playing against the uh, Bombers and Racky. And uh, 
they're kind of letting it play out. So finally, Dean gets on the ice, and uh, he gets the the game is tied. He gets a tie and score, but then he's getting ready to go and hit the game winner with about three seconds left, and Racky trips him up. And it, one of the other things is there's this ref that's been doing the refing the entire playoffs. Has been kind of inconsistent. Like he didn't even call anything on the Racky trip, which pissed off Chadwick and the rest of the, the Mustangs. So finally, when Racky trips up Dean uh, on a shot goal, uh, the ref finally <laughs> finally says, "Yeah, trip it." And then like Chadwick's like, "Yeah, there you go. You know what you're doing, buddy." Oh my and He God. starts getting him all the love, and then of course the opposing coach is like, "What? Are you fucking blind?" Yeah. So. uh they end up, uh, Racky ends up getting a penalty and basically now gives Dean Youngblood a free shot on goal uh, with the goalie, of course, to block it if he can. And, uh, you know, Dean's looking around, looking at his girlfriend, looking at his, his brother and dad who came to watch the final game and the coaches. And so he's gone. He's, he does this nice little thing, which I, it always stuck in my head with skates. I don't know if I've ever seen it in a real hockey game, but I'm sure it's been done. Really, they tiptoe? One uh, where he starts going and he hits the puck with his back skate and yeah right. and then slap slaps yeah yeah slap, and I thought that it. was like so cool. I mean I'm sure it happens. I just now apparently Lowe did train on ice skates and and actually did all that stuff himself. So did you see that at the beginning the opening scene where um Rob Lowe was doing all of his like stick work and you saw him doing like the slap shots where he's like hits it up and and uh, hits it on his uh, stick and then gets it in yeah um so he gets the goal to go ahead now there's three seconds left and Racky is the guy that's usually under center and uh Chadwick wants to replace Youngblood with the guy in the backup just so that he doesn't have any alter altercations with Racky before the game but Youngblood doesn't want to come out. He wants to prove himself because he has something to, to handle because he's pissed off about Sutton, pissed off about how Racky has treated him all this time. So with three seconds left, he, uh, Dean kicks the puck away and basically the game's over, but he pushes Racky uh, to initiate a fight, which Racky's more than happy to oblige him with. And so they throw their gloves down. Well, no, first they were with their, their sticks. I don't know if that's even legal. Are they able to do that with the sticks at first? Not anymore. Yeah. They used to do it all the time in the 80s. Okay, see, I didn't 90s. know that. But, uh, so they start off, and finally Youngblood disarms uh, Racky with the stick, and they go with the gloves, and take off the gloves, and they start fist fighting. And, of course, Racky gets in a couple shots because he is a big dude. Uh, but Youngblood finally gets his jersey up over and punches him a few and knocks him down. Uh, I kind of forgotten. I thought that was kind of the ending, but Racky actually gets up after the jersey. Jersey's off, and he still loses to Youngblood in a fist fight, uh, which sort of just gives uh, Youngblood the hero of the day type thing there at the end. Uh, and, of course, the movie is pretty much done at that point. But uh, I'm surprised. Like, I, I, I'm not... Like the scores for the movie on Rotten Tomatoes are low, but sometimes I'm wondering if some of these scores are from modern reviewers because some of the things they say mm-hmm. about how, like the movie, the movie's uh, condoning violence or some shit like that, and I'm like, well, 
if you were in the 80s, you're not condone, you're not like criticizing the violence in movies. You just weren't. Like you weren't criticizing Schwarzenegger films or Stallone films. Uh, even though those are probably ten times better made than this one because they had probably better scripts and budgets. But at the end of the day, uh, this movie holds up for me. I really enjoy it still a lot. Uh, I got it actually at the uh, dollar store, Goodwill, uh, basically. Oh, that's right, that's right. When we went on on Saturday, we uh, you you hit up a couple of good ones. I um, Every once in a while I do enjoy that we do that because I... Um, the, the DVDs are always like two, three dollars, and I think this is the second time this year that we went to a thrift store and found like some interesting things because we went to Savers, mm -hmm. um, I think like in May or June, and you were like, oh my god, this place is huge, and there's all these, and uh, the one that we went to this time wasn't that big, but I'm like, this is a good one, like there's usually a lot of good stuff that people donate, and you know what, hate on us all you want. I love the thrift store. I have always been. I I, yeah, I don't know if anybody hates on I me. Mean, I've seen people that go into Walmart and they find those DVDs for like you know five or six bucks. I mean that's basically the same thing you're doing. Only difference is we're getting used stuff. Mm -hmm. And a lot of stuff. But that... you will you will have a hard time finding Youngblood. Like I mean you could probably order it online, but going into like a Walmart, I doubt it's even in there. Mm -mm. Like. So when I saw it up in the rack, I'm like, well, this is, is this the young blood I'm thinking it is? And sure enough, it was. I'm like, this is great. I was just kind of browsing around because um, my my big thing is I um, I love vintage Tupperware mm -hmm. and vintage um, Fire King and uh, Corningware. You know, like the, the stuff that you see your grandma having. It's like the crazy colors and stuff. So I'm just like poking around. And here comes Anubis out. He's like, all right, I've got a bunch of stuff, but I put it to the side so nobody could get it. And I'm like, all right, so. Yeah, because I set aside stuff that um, that she would want. And, you know, she took something, something she already had. I did find out I had, uh, I actually, as I went to reorganize, I discovered I had two of the same movies. So it wasn't even this trip. It was another trip. I must have grabbed another one. But You're like, hey. Yeah, that's so, uh, you know, that's kind of like you and the vinyl sometimes. You'll pick up like three or four copies of Paradise Theater by Styx. And, and, and Fleetwood Mac Rumors yeah. and anything by Pat Benatar. I'm like, yeah. I don't have this. And you're like, I know you have this. Yeah, like I see it all the time. I, um, I, that, and that's another reason I like to go to thrift stores because, um, it's, you get different stuff all the time and like this go round I went through the vinyls and it was a lot of classical vinyls like there was not anything not even Perry Como normally the old people are donating the Perry Como and the Christmas albums this was almost a hundred percent classical music so and and you know it might sell it might not and I don't know what Goodwill does to like uh if it sits out for so long that they get rid I mean, of the it. best time for, like, for us for vinyl, like, the best place that I've seen is Rock and Roll Graveyard and Frederick, like... Oh, yeah, because they had, they had like, the an, discount sent yeah. section, too, and I was crawling around on the floor you looking for that. You were really going to town. We, we came out and spending quite a bit of money. But, it, but the thing is, is I... The, the discount section was kind of, like, They're only like under, two, three bucks. Yeah, yeah, it was under everything, and I'm like... Because I, I think I even found, like, some soundtracks that I wanted, mm -hmm. and I'm like, 
oh, dude, look, this is a soundtrack, and it's like three bucks. You're like, get it. Yeah, they got everything, like cassettes and, you know, CDs. I didn't really spend a lot of time with CDs, but vinyls. I found, like, cassettes that I even, even though I had to pay eight to ten bucks for, they were cassettes that I didn't even know were on cassettes. Mm-hmm. So I was really excited about that. So hopefully down the road we can go back because that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. But first, mommy got to get back to work. Yeah. Make a little money. I, um, I, that's why I, I suggest the thrift store all the time because, I mean, you know, maybe another day before I leave we can hit another thrift store. And, um, I don't, have I told you about the one that's up in Harford County? It's like the size of a fucking warehouse. Um, that one too is, it gets a lot of donations and, you can tell this is gonna sound so terrible but like i i've hit a couple of good ones where you're like somebody's grandma must have passed because they're i've brought home some beautiful casserole dishes which we've subsequently have broken of course i um i am not the type of person who even though i love the vintage you know tupperware and stuff i use it we use it I, there are people like who are in groups with me where they're like, oh, look at my display. I don't even use it. And I'm like, why? Why would you spend that kind of money and make this gigantic display and never use these beautiful pieces? They need to be used. But this place that I'm talking about um, up in Harford County, um, it's like you can, you can always big, big like donations all the time. Um, and that's also the beauty of the thrift store is they're always getting donations. So like, it's never going to be like the same uh, CDs or DVDs or whatever. You even picked up a couple of CDs, remember? Mm-hmm. I mean, and a couple. Did you get a cassette or no? I thought you grabbed a cassette for some reason. Mm. No, I don't think I found any. Not for that one. But. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I... I we'll always, have to check out the Harper one maybe before you leave, but... It's pretty badass. It's it's literally like the size of a Walmart, and it's a thrift store. Um, so, but, hey, maybe that's what we do, and then we can report back on any DVDs we find. All right. All right, well, coming up, uh, brand new stuff from Kubar PR with Sarkater. Uh, I got some brand new, uh, brand new Brimere as well as Imperium and but kicking off this first blog we got some classic work from Nigel Fox's Incorporated as well as Morbid Scream. Thank you. 
had to take a little potty break. But I'm here, so that's good. Getting ready to close out another edition of the Hordes of Chaos. I want to thank you all for tuning in. Appreciate your support greatly. Hope to see a lot of you at the Tennessee Devastation Metal Festival on October 8th in Lexington, Tennessee. Uh, we'll be there. Have a few uh, few things, uh, stickers and uh, bottle openers and stuff for us to bring. We're not going to go super out because it all costs money to make money. But uh, we do have stuff available online at our website, uh, metaltownradio.com. So if you want to order it that way, you can. We have cups and shirts and stuff like that. So if you want to get something for yourselves, feel free to do it. Any kind of money would help us out. We appreciate all your support. One last track for you all. It's a new track by Imperium. It's called Under the Shadows of Giants. And we will see you all later. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.